Welcome, tennis fans, to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, featuring International Tennis Hall of Famer, former world number one Mats Vlander, and Texas Longhorn all-time great, two-time All-American Johnny Levine. Your host of KickServeRadio.com is Andy Zoden. So, take it away, AZ. And take it away. I will welcome everybody. KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We have got another electrifying show for you. And by electrifying, I mean that if you are an insomniac, we have got exactly what you need. We are joined, of course, as you know, by seven-time major champion. Make that eight-time major champion. We're going to now include that 86 Wimbledon doubles. Uh, he was former number one in the world, International Tennis Hall of Famer, Mats Vlander. We are also featuring the great, one of the greatest Longhorns of all time, and that is Johnny Levine. And boys, we have just come off of a couple of, you know, slam-bang theater events. You had the Tour Championships in Turin and the Davis Cup. Congratulations to Canada winning their first ever Davis Cup title. But I want to start with this, Mats, because Taylor Fritz made some comments about the Davis Cup that I felt were fairly provocative, made me think a little bit. But basically, he was just saying that he really doesn't feel like anybody cares. He says, if we win the thing, great. If we don't, big deal. And earlier in the year, I posed the question, has the Labor Cup somehow or another reached a level of popularity that exceeds even the Davis Cup? You were unwilling to quite go there, but now that Taylor Fritz has come out with these comments. Does it make you maybe rethink that? No, I don't think so. I mean, I've, I've told you this, Andy. I've watched Davis Cup. I watched the, the preliminary qualifying rounds, especially the one from Glasgow where the Americans were involved and Great Britain were there and the Netherlands played there as well. I thought the intensity was amazing. I thought the intensity uh, in Malaga with uh, the Canadians and, of course, the Italians and Australians was amazing as well. But, you know... I'm not sure. I think that it, you have to take into consideration America. America is as big as Europe. So I think that there's always a chance when you are an American that, yes, it sounds great. I'm playing for the red, white, and blue for our flag, for our nation. It's such an honor, on and on. But you could be from one side of the country and you're playing in a team with people that are from the other side of the country and you live, you might never spend that much time together. So I think that the, the chemistry in the team has a lot to do with did you grow up together? Uh, do you hang out together? It's not as easy as just putting on your your uh, your kit, your, your nation's kit, and then feel like, oh, this is the most important tournament or, or situation in my tennis career. No, it's not that easy. So I, I can understand what Taylor Fritz is saying for sure. But um, it also something that comes and goes. I think a lot of players some years love Davis Cup and some other years eh, their individual singles uh, career is more important. Johnny, I think Mats is looking at this thing through European lenses and you're, you and I are going to look at it through American lenses. If we're looking, if we're talking about, um, you know, popularity and, and public interest, sports fan interest, is it disadvantageous? And I think this is pretty obvious if Taylor Fritz is correct. Well, you're going up against the heart of the football season. 
the NBA has started, and now suddenly you're having the Davis Cup in the smack tab in the middle of World Cup. Is that what basically hurts Davis Cup's chances for having any kind of immense popularity in the United States? Here's Johnny. Yeah, I do think, Andy, that that has something to do with it. Even when there's none of that going on, it's not always that popular, the tennis sport. So that definitely is a factor. I mean, I'm, I'm old school like you guys. And, you know, I think of the Davis Cup. I like the, the old format. I don't really even follow it or know what's going on with this new format. You know, I haven't dug into it too much. I just, you know, saw a post over the weekend that Yannick Noah shared. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, Matt, but it was a, a photo of the 2017 team that he captained and, and, uh, you know, after they won and he said, you know, this is back from 2017, the last time France won when the real Davis cup, you know, was going on. So he uh, obviously was sliding the format of today. So I, I just think it's lost its luster. I do know that the Americans, you know, back in the day, guys were so proud to wear that USA jacket and play Davis cup for, for, for the U S uh, Johnny Mack never missed a tie. He lived for the Davis Cup. And, you know, Connors was a bit selfish, but his schedule, when it allowed, and, he, you know, he played a lot too at times. But everyone wanted to be on the Davis Cup team. And uh, I don't, you know, I still think the guys want to play it, but it's just popularity is just way down. Well, I think it's great, Matt, that Johnny is doing a podcast for Tennis Channel Podcast Network and admits he's paying no attention to Davis Cup now. So that is interesting. Now, that being said, he did mention the format. Now we go to a weekend-long tournament, two out of three set matches. Two out of three matches constitute a tie. How do you feel about this abbreviated format versus what Johnny was referring to, which is it's it's a marathon and not a sprint. It's It's matches that go on all year. It's best of five. It's a long weekend. What are your thoughts of then versus now? I think as an event itself, it was successful when I watched it, but I don't think you can ever compare it to the old Davis Cup. What I don't like is that we're taking away some major, major uh, sporting events in, in countries that maybe they're smaller, but when Sweden and I was playing and we had the Davis Cup finals in Sweden in front of 15,000 Swedes and we had you guys, uh, Johnny Mack and Jimmy Connors and Peter Fleming and Jimmy Arias back home in Gothenburg, the finals 84. I mean, we've had big sporting events in Sweden. Uh, I don't think any has ever been bigger than that sporting event. And I think you're taking that away. And for small countries like Sweden or Belgium, they don't have that much more than Davis Cup. Remember when Belgium played the Davis Cup final at home against Great Britain and Andy Murray famously won the last match uh, with a topspin lob. I mean, it was huge for Great Britain, but for Belgium uh, Belgium as well, because you are going to watch your country play any sport if you're a, a parent that likes sports or if you're a kid of that parent you're gonna well, this is belgium playing what sport is it doesn't matter it's belgium i don't think people tune in to davis cup in malaga if you're from uh, a, a certain country so i think they're they're losing out big time and and they're killing uh, an interest i mean i'm playing tennis because of davis cup 
Not because of Wimbledon, not because of the French Open. I'm playing because Davis Cup was the first event, tennis event that I saw on TV. And it was because it was Sweden, not because it was tennis. And I think that's really, really not a good thing. So I don't like that they took that away. And you guys have both won gold for your respective countries. You win in uh, three Davis Cup titles. And, and Johnny, you win in, uh, the, you know, in the Panama Games and the Maccabea Games. And, and so you guys are both highly decorated playing for your countries. And then we go to this Davis Cup and, and uh, you don't see Yannick Sinner there with the Italian team. You don't see Nick Curios there. I mean, think about how much different that might have been with Australia losing in the finals to Canada to have had Nick Curios. And then you're playing in Spain, Johnny. And you don't have Carlos Alcaraz there. Now, maybe I'm missing something, and maybe these guys are a little dinged up. We've talked in previous shows about how by this time of year, a guy's either you know raring to go to finish the season strong and go into 23 with a head of steam, or it's like, I'm done, I'm over it. And maybe that was just the case with those three players. But those were about the most high-level players that we saw at the U.S. Open, and, and none of the three show up in, in Spain for the Davis Cup. Right. Well... You know, I, I just the the players of today. I don't know that they really grasp the history of the Davis Cup, and um, you know, with this new format, with the other competitions that you have, you know, the Labor Cup, the ATP Cup. There's so many different things. The money is huge. They make they make a lot of money. So, you know, when I look back at the U.S., I just keep thinking of Johnny Mack, and that guy was playing every single time because it was for his country. I mean, you got to give him so much credit for his patriotism to, to the U S and the Davis cup. And it's just, just different now. And um, I don't know that they'll ever get it back, especially with these other events and the schedule being so busy. All right. Before we go to break, I know one thing that the most embarrassing moment I've ever had in a press conference was when I asked Roger Federer about Davis Cup and he responded with... The Davis Cup, I can't because we're not qualified for the finals. No problem. So <laughs> there goes your question. <laughs> Better research next time, buddy. And thank you, Roger, for that iconic moment, which I will never forget. When we come back, let's talk about the tour championships, the way the year-end rankings ended up, and what we should look for in 23. You're listening to KickServeRadio.com. We are part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, and we will be right back after this. Oh, and by the way, Austin Krychek will be joining us a little bit later in the show. You're not going to want to miss that. What an incredible year that American double star had, and he is going to be awfully fun to listen to. We're going to break. Back right after this. AZ here, kickserveradio.com, and I'm joined by Paul Strata, and he is the developer of iPlayMeToo.com. Paul, it's a real-world tennis app for real-life scenarios. Tell us about it. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Andy. Yeah, so here at iPlayMeToo, we basically built the world's most useful tennis app for the players and for the club pros. And I think if you'd ask most players at clubs they'd like to play more if it were easy to get games to enter tournaments play in ladders so we basically digitized all of the scheduling headache and all of the tournament and competition setup so it's as easy as ordering an uber and people can focus on playing and not trying to schedule and get a game in 
an advantage that you've got in the market from what I've seen is in the presentation of the results. People like seeing their name and lights. Talk a little bit about that side of the site. Clubs can run all kinds of tournaments and ladders and round robins, and the players can enter their own scores right there from their app. The players don't have to text their score to the club pro. They can actually enter it in their app. The app is iPlayMeToo, iPlayMe, the number two, dot com. The developer is Paul Strata. Paul, thank you so much, and uh, and best of luck with iPlayMeToo.com. All of us that have used it have enjoyed it very much and appreciate the hard work that you have put into it. You bet, Andy. Thanks so much. And anyone who has any questions, they can contact us at iPlayMeToo.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com, Tennis Channel Podcast Network, Matt Spielander, Johnny Levine, I'm Andy Zoden. We will be joined, as promised, by Austin Krychek in the final segment. But right now, guys, we've talked a lot of Davis Cup. But before that, we had the Turin Championships in Turin. And, and Novak Djokovic ends the year in style. And it looks like, Matt's his fortunes have really changed because upon winning the Tour Championships... He then also finds out that it looks very promising and and probably 100% likely that we will see him back in Australia this year. And, uh, oh, my, how the tide has turned for the Joker at the end of 22. Yeah, I mean, it's great to have Novak back for sure. It's great to see that he's kept his focus. I don't know how anyone could do that. I would never have been able to do that myself with, with the year that he's had and that he's kept practicing. And then every time he shows up, he wins pretty much. Uh, apart from, of course, in, in the Paris Masters when he lost to Holger Rune, maybe a match he should have won. But um, no, I'm very impressed. But I think suddenly we we go back to, okay, Novak is back. He's winning the ATP Tour Finals. He's going to Australia. He's won there, I think, nine times, is it? Um, I mean, what are the chances that he is not going to be the greatest player of all time in terms of, uh, in terms of credentials on paper? Uh, I think he's won the Tour Championship, the ATP Finals, six times now. I think that was his sixth time. Uh, he's got 21 Grand Slams. Surely, if he's allowed to play in Australia and the US Open, he's going to win one of those, I would think. So uh, I guess the race is back on a little bit because I've been saying throughout 2022 that I think the race is a, it's a, it's a dead race right now. I don't think we should worry about it because Novak is not allowed to play in a couple of majors and Rafa is getting older and he's injured and nah, now it's back to me in my mind the race is back on if Novak is allowed to go to Australia and, and that's going to be fun I want to see Novak take on the likes of Carlos Alcaraz and Holger Rune in three out of five set matches 
uh, and see how he deals with them. And more importantly, see how they deal with him, uh, because that is the ultimate test is to play Novak on a hard court uh, in three out of five sets. Or, of course, against Rafa at the French Open in three out of five. And we all know how that went this summer. Rafa won again. Doesn't seem like all that long ago, Johnny, when uh, Mats was all about Yannick Sinner. Now we're talking about him wanting to see Djokovic play Alcaraz or Holger Rune. Oh my, how the tide has turned there. But as far as this whole greatest of all time thing goes, he mentions, well, on paper, yeah, on paper, it's the Joker. I mean, but it's it's in tennis fans' hearts where there's going to be some dispute, where there's going to continue to be the argument. And I think anybody that wants to make the case for Roger Federer has plenty of ammunition. He's won more titles than any of those guys. Anybody that wants to make a case for Rafael Nadal, plenty of ammunition. He's won more majors than these guys. Want to make a case for Novak Djokovic, plenty of ammunition. He's got winning records lifetime against the other two. How are you going to ever settle this thing, or, or is it is it – Settle a bull. It will be settle a bull. Okay, if that's a if word. That's a word. <laughs> because I, I I believe the condition that Novak Djokovic keeps himself in, I think, and you've seen Federer go to thir- to thirty nine years old. You're seeing Nadal, and we should talk about well, you know, Nadal because that was a tough performance that he had at. Uh, at the in Turin, but I believe that Djokovic will be around till he's 40 years old playing high level tennis because of his fitness condition, the way he trains, the way he eats, um, the way he takes care of his body. And so I, I, I think it will be settled eventually. And I think that Djokovic will be a favorite to win the next several slams along with other guys, no question about it. But he is definitely going to be in the hunt when he's entered in a slam and he's going to have a good chance to win. Mm, that's for sure. Andy, let me just throw in there. Let me just sort of uh, Please do. Uh, yeah, correct uh, uh, something of what Johnny said there, because I'm sure that's what he meant. But let's say that Novak doesn't train any harder than the other guys. I think it's his body that responds to the heavy training. And with Rafa, I bet you he doesn't train any less than Novak, but his body doesn't respond to heavy lifting and heavy playing in the same way that Novak's body responds to whatever it is that he does. And I think that some of that's genetic, a lot of it's genetics for sure. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's where the difference is. I don't think – I would never, ever go out and say that Novak trains harder than anybody else. Uh, does he train better? Maybe. But I think his body just – it doesn't seem like he's getting older. He doesn't get injured. Um, he's not slowing down. He's as flexible. I mean, for God's sake, his hair doesn't even change. You can't be serious, man. I mean, he doesn't age at all. And with Rafa – there is an aging process going on there that Novak just doesn't have. So I think his body is, uh, is um, I mean, it's something very special. I think Johnny might argue that Novak is healthier than the rest because of, of not being vaccinated. I, I could be wrong about that. Uh, but the fact of the matter is Australia doesn't care anymore. And quite honestly, I don't know why anybody would. I think at this point, We got way bigger problems. We got way more problems. And this, whether people are vaccinated or not anymore, I think the World Cup is proof of the fact that 
you know, the world is moving forward with or without. And I think it's up to, up to each individual. And I, I am glad to see him back in the mix because I do think that this youth movement is, is real now. I mean, Alcaraz is not afraid to win and, and, and nor is Holger Rune. We saw it uh, in the Paris masters, you know, Johnny, I mean, of these young guys, I mean, how has Yannick Sinner just sort of been dismissed as as yesterday's news, or have have has his demise been greatly exaggerated? Well, I just think the competition is so strong and it's so deep. You know, those those top ten guys, they, any of them can beat each other. And Sinner really had a great match with Alcaraz at the Open. Um, he's not going anywhere. I mean, and I still think he's a guy to be watching in 2023, you know, it's just so hard to sustain that highest level every tournament. And so guys are going to have a little bit of ups and downs. I mean, it happens to Djokovic. It happens to all of them. Um, You know, let's see what happens to Zverev as he, you know, gets back from his injury. I mean, that's, that guy was, was a solid top four guy, top five guy for us, you know, a couple two, three years there. And then the injury, you know, has put him out of the top 10, but it'll be interesting to see where he comes back. But I I do think center is going to be threatening for a grand slam championship uh, in the next year or two. Matt, he brought it up. So I'm going to roll with it. And I meant to ask you about this. Um, He brings up Sasha Zverev. Mm -hmm. And I read an article where I saw that Mary Carrillo made a stand that she would not participate in the uh, in the, the 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 production of the Labor Cup because, as she termed it, I will not be a part of the silence. And she was talking about Sasha Zverev, and she was talking about the domestic issues and some of the things that he has been accused of, and that she feels that this has been pushed under the rug and made a very, um, you know, very strong statement about that. Where does this stand? I'm not sure. I don't know anything um, about, obviously I know that something is going on, but um, I do not know uh, any details. Maybe Mary Carrillo knows more than me, but I mean, do you have to trust the justice system in in these situations? And uh, it's somebody's word against somebody else's word. I I, I don't really know. It's a a tough situation. Um, I mean, obviously, it's going to be really tough for him to come out on tour and trying to do his best on a tennis court if there is uh, problems that that haven't been exposed or that are being exposed. I don't know. But um, I, I think we could all see that he was... He was playing great at the French Open when he broke his ankle against Rafa Nadal. He was on his way sort of back up to the top of the game, I thought. So I, hopefully he's had some time and he can settle his, um, his uh, issues that he has had off the court and, and uh, we can move on from there. All right, Johnny, before we go to break, before we bring out Austin Krychek, um players to watch that aren't the obvious guy like who's out there that you think is kind of lurking in the weeds because you're the one that keeps up with the Ben Shelton's of the world and the Jensen Brooksby's and you're always this guy that's six months ahead of the sport and you're bringing up this guy that won this little challenger down in South America and suddenly boom there he is on TV winning a big match who's that guy well right now I'm going with Ben Shelton and he has guys won three challengers in a row uh, he's 97 in the world. 
He's got a huge game, lots of confidence, plays free and easy. Very, very free-spirited guy. Great guy. He's got that great dad who coaches at Florida. He was a great guy. Brian Shelton. Uh, Brian Shelton. And, um, you know, he took Isner deep uh, in Atlanta. He almost beat Isner. He beat Rude badly um, this summer. Okay. So I, I think that we're going to see Ben Shelton big things in 2023 from Ben Shelton. All right, there you go. You heard it from Johnny Levine. When we come back, we're going to be hearing it from Austin Krychek. So you're going to go from hearing it from a Longhorn to hearing it from an Aggie, but it's going to be good either way. You're listening to KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. When we come back, ninth in the world, he's in the top ten in the world for the first time in a 10-year career. Austin Krychek joins us next. Sarah Z here with a kick serve quick serve with my friend and nutrition guru Courtney Ward with Body Fuse. Courtney, as we ladies start to get, oh, shall I say, more advanced or more experienced in our life, how about just body weight and body maintenance? That for me is becoming, I, I think, tougher by the day. Boy, you're not alone. And along with our sports performance line, Body Fuse also offers a full weight loss line. And we have an, a fantastic product called Purify, which kickstarts your weight loss. It's a GI detox. It's a water cut as well. So it's really great for bloating, irregularity, um, and people love it to kickstart a weight loss program. And then with that, we couple a product called Blackwall Shredded, kind of a cool name. It's a daytime thermogenic. Um, and also has a nootropic in it. It's not super high stimulant, but it's just a, a good mental focus. And it just basically kickstarts your metabolic rate. So that's a daytime thermogenic. We also offer a nighttime thermogenic called Midnight Burn. And this has melatonin and GABA as well as a thermogenic. So it kind of continues that metabolic rate uh, bump, if you will. So the, these three products are, are sort of like the magic trinity. I don't want to say magic pills because there's no such thing. But Midnight Burn at Night, Blackwell Shredded in the Day, uh, and then Purify to kind of kickstart your system and clean out your GI tracts. And in addition, Purify, along with the detox, it allows us to start absorbing nutrients a little bit more efficiently as well. So those three products are just a fantastic trio and very, very popular. Fantastic. And one more time, Body Fuse. BodyFuseUSA.com. Well, I'm Sarah Z. She's Courtney with Body Fuse. And now back to more tennis talk with the Kickserve Radio Boys. Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com, Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And as promised, we are now joined by ATP. American doubles star, Austin Krychek. Austin, so nice of you to be able to take time during the holidays to join us. Welcome. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, so Austin, I got to believe it's a little bit of a bittersweet year. I was looking back at your year and I'm thinking, man, this guy must be in a pretty good place. <laughs> As I understand it, you're sitting there right now with the highest world ranking in doubles that you've ever had that you just, that you just achieved you know, a grand slam final this year that just barely eluded you, just slipped through your fingertips. But when you look back on the year, is it, is it a success 
the French Open final notwithstanding? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is a success overall. I mean, it's it's been a an amazing year filled with a lot of emotions, um, you know, some very high highs and some strangely low lows. It's funny, tennis is one of the few sports that in the same week you can have such an unbelievable run and then and then just be so devastated at the end. Right. Um, but, you know, I mean, overall, it, there was a lot of ups and downs um, early in the year before the French Open as well. Um, you know, competing um, in some challengers and having some tough losses in first rounds of tour events and um, just kind of finding a way through all that. And then and having some good results to the big ones and giving myself an opportunity in the summer. Um, we had another little lull there um, kind of in the, in the U S swing, which was unfortunate as that's usually uh, my favorite time of the year. Um, and then um, we were able to recover um, in a great way towards the end of the year and have a fantastic fall and give ourselves an opportunity to compete in turn, which was um, definitely to finish on a highlight. It was a, it was an awesome finish and I'm definitely proud of the the work, um, you know, our, our whole team put in and, and I thought it was a fantastic year overall. Definitely. Obviously when I played Austin, we played, uh, singles and I played doubles for most of my career. Right. Um, we played doubles. I mean, I'm sure you've seen old videotapes or old VHS tapes, I should yeah, say. Definitely. But we kind of played doubles uh, in a very different way. We we stayed on our side and we worked on sort of serving and volleying, and which is something I didn't really do that much as, as a singles player. It was great for my for my doubles. For you, obviously, having played singles and and done well and then focusing more on doubles how how difficult and and how important is it to maybe specialize at this point in doubles or would it be good to to dabble in singles as well in terms of the the uh the workout and the the skills you get from playing singles sure i think there's pros and cons uh, both ways i think like you said you know when, when you're playing singles and doubles i think actually the doubles um is a benefit to your singles in, in a lot of ways. I think a lot of the singles guys, the youngest guys that play some doubles see, um, you know, quite a bit of um, benefit to that. I think it helps their, their transition game coming forward, playing aggressive, um, you know, just spending more time on match courts, being in match environments. I think it's, a, it's a big advantage for those guys. Um, there's, there's a number of them this year that have done that. Um, for me, I, I think at the very top of doubles, I think there is another side of that, that, um, it's an advantage to specialize. I think doubles in general, when you're focusing on just that, your practices become a bit more specific or a lot more specific, really. Um, so there's a lot of little things that, you know, I mean, with this format, the way it is now with, with the super tiebreaker and no ad scoring, of course, uh, I think any team can meet any team, you know, on the week. I think there's, um, you know, a lot of good singles players that play doubles occasionally, and they will be good teams for sure um, at some master series and so forth. But I think to be successful all year long and to really have a, a full schedule of, of good tournaments, um, you, you kind of have to do week in, week out the little things. And, you know, those make a difference um, when it comes down to the fifth super tiebreaker in a row that you played. You know, it's just the, the really incremental things that make a difference at the end. So, Austin, I meant to mention up front that we asked Johnny to step aside because we didn't want you to feel uncomfortable with with two Longhorns and one Aggie <laughs> on, on, you know, on the interview. So, so uh, but, you know, but I wanted to ask you because, you know, a lot of times uh, when you when you look at sports teams and you talk about the advantage of having a guy that's won a championship come into the locker room, that sort of 
bleeds its way into the rest of the players by way of that that other player's experience. And now you're playing with Yvonne Dodig, and if memory serves, he's got six majors to his credit. So yes, sir. what do you what do you glean from from Yvonne with regard to just soaking up what he has experienced that kind of helps make you guys a better team overall and makes you feel like maybe you are going to kick down the door this coming year. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a huge advantage for us as a team. I mean, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm a young guy by any means, but I mean, youngish on some of the skill for, for some of the doubles guys out there now. So playing with a, a veteran like Yvonne, that's had so much success and, and won so many big tournaments and been on the big stage for so long um, was a huge advantage for me. I mean, it's one of those things where, you can tell someone all, all you want that, you know, um, you can do it. You know, you've got the skill set. You can be top 10. You can win Grand Slams. But until you really put yourself in that position and kind of um, you're out there on the stadium court and, and you're in the moment, I mean, it's hard to really buy that experience. So I think, um, uh, you know, taking the little things I can from Yvonne and then you know, we had obviously some uh, some good success there at the beginning and, and got to be on that big stage of Roland Garros. Um, I think the little things like, he's just obviously been there before those little things of how to prepare, what to expect, you know, how the crowd's going to be, you know, the warm up, our routines, our days off, how to manage that being in Europe for so long, obviously for it's tough for, for some of the American guys, because we're in Europe for such a long stretch over the, uh, the clay and grass season. Um, you know, just little things like that, how to, how to deal with those circumstances. I think Yvonne's been a tremendous help. I mean, I think our team meshes very well because we've got some different personality traits and we, we just kind of connect uh, great. And I think that's um, kind of what would led us to, to have a great first year, really half a year and uh, hopefully many years to come. But I think that experience is, is a huge benefit for, for me and, and Philip and all of our team for sure. So you go up against Indian Wells. A lot of singles players play doubles in yep. Indian Wells. And of course, like you said, they play in certain masters here. What exactly are you picking at uh, against someone who plays singles nearly only and then he shows up and plays a couple of doubles tournaments or you might play him in a Grand Slam? What is, is it reactions? Where are the singles players not as good uh, as you guys are in doubles? Because it's so fast today. What do you pick at when you have, a, uh, let's say, a Felix Auger-Aliassime or a Denis Shapovalov? Obviously, they just won the Davis Cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of guys. I mean, that that play great doubles now. Hubie's a good one. Uh, John Isner obviously has won a bunch of of doubles tournaments this year, um, and it makes it tough when the guys serve as well as they do. Um, that really helps, um, you know, kind of level the playing field there. I mean, for us, we try to lean on the day in day out work that we do as a team that, that we mesh together, move together. We kind of know where each other's going to be, and so we try to use that chemistry and try to. You know, we might play a certain way on serving. We might play a little more eye formation or, or different, um, you know, formations like that. But um, I would say, yeah, we try to try to lean on our um, net game or forward game to to try to expose some of the things that they may not be that comfortable with. Not that they're not good at them by any means, but, sure. you know, Felix may not be as comfortable with hitting, you know, several volleys in a row or because you just don't do that necessarily in singles. I mean, usually, you know, if, if Rafa comes in the net, it's kind of, he's got a forehand that he's hurting you with and he's getting kind of a volley that's a little bit higher and he's able to finish the point right away. So, you know, double, sometimes you might have to hit two, three, four volleys in a point and try to kind of set up, you know, a pattern that you try to finish with. And, you know, we try to lean on that stuff. It, you know, of course uh, they make it very difficult when they're serving 140 and, and, and returning as well as all those guys do. So Andy, I know you're dying to ask, but let me, let me throw Go this. ahead. Go yeah, ahead Austin, let me throw it in. So you brought it up. I mean, so you're playing against Rafa in doubles. 
Right. What do you look for there? Is it reactions? Or how do you actually go in and feel like, you know what, we should be beating these guys, even though it's Rafa Nadal and let's say Mark Lopez in those days? Well, I mean, it's, it's maybe easier said than done. Um, you know, playing someone sure. like Rafa, I have a have, you know, tremendous amount of respect for, and he's really, you know, if not the best player ever, I mean, it, that's, that makes it very difficult. But, you know, we work, we work quite hard, um, you know, on a daily basis to try to make it a level playing field. So I think when you go out there, you know, I mean, as hard as it may be, you don't try to see a face. You just try to play the strategy that you have laid out, and um, you know, and you try to implement your strengths and 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 let the chips fall where they may. But um, you know, that that's really what we can do. We try to play our best tennis and give ourselves the best opportunity to win. And uh, you know, we work hard every day to go out there and, and try to make it level. You know, and, and the best player will win. You know, it's you know, he might, you know, beat us several times out of 10, but if we do the right things and play, play by the odds there, then, then we would like to think that in our favor, we might get a little more than half and, right. and hopefully it happens at the, at the big ones. But, you know, so as long as we're talking about some of the greatest players of all time, I'll, I'll, I'll stay with that. And you mentioned Philip and that's Philip Farmer who's been coaching you. And he was with Bob and Mike Bryan for, for quite some time and several stints. And I I've got to ask, I mean, here you are a lefty, Yvonne or righty, how much from Philip do you hear? Well, in this situation, Bob and Mike might've thought this or done this or chosen this. And does he Bob and Mike get a death at all? Or does he give you just <laughs> enough to where it's like, okay, we get it, but we also appreciate it as well. Yeah. I would say just enough. I mean, Phil's got such a great way of communicating with us. And I think that's another strength of our team with, with Yvonne and me and Phil and, and uh, Yvonne's brother, Misha, we all communicate really well and work together. So I think, yeah, Phil brings that element for sure. He obviously worked with the Bryans for a while and um, you know, Bob and Mike are, are two of um, the guys that I look up to most on the tour. I, got pretty close with them and rented from them a house in Florida for a long time. So they've been generous enough to come out and help us and in, in some practices and stuff. And obviously, you know, Bob's involvement now with some of the Davis cup stuff and, and Mike being around some of these big tournaments has been, been awesome to be, um, be involved with them and just try to learn anything we can. Obviously they're, you know, I mean, the things they've done in their career, we can, uh, you know, only shoot for, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's great. Phil Phil has all kinds of insights that the stuff that the Bryans try to do. And I mean, obviously, we're all different players, but, um, you know, I, I'm always uh, I'm, I would never say it's too much. I always try to soak up any information I can that, that Bob or Mike did in, in their career and try to implement it in mine. Mm. Austin, obviously, now that we're talking about the, maybe the greatest doubles team of all time in, in Bob and Mike, um, I mean, they revolutionized doubles and obviously uh, they return well, they serve well, they, they volley well, whatever. But to me, what changed drastically with two of them was the intensity. The intensity level they kept between points. Because the intensity level of watching doubles, I have to tell you, is so much better and so much more uh, – uh, you guys are so much more enthusiastic than the singles players are in a different way, but I that's what we love about doubles, and that, that wasn't the case in the past, but that's why I think people love to, and, and is that something that, do you think that that is something that's changed since the Bryan brothers, or yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think the Bryans, that was one of their biggest strengths was they were, you know, super positive on the court and, and really, um, you know, always pushing the envelope with energy. And, and com- I mean, I think probably the best competitors of all time. I mean, they compete so well, um, you know, no matter what the score is or where they're playing. So, I, you know, or practice court, I've had plenty of super intense practices with them. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that energy is huge. I think with the format change as well, what was what's so amazing about the Bryans too is obviously they were dominating for a long time with the old scoring format, but when they switched to no ad and super tiebreak, they continued to win just as much. It, you would have thought maybe it would level the playing field a little bit for some of the guys, and and it really didn't. If anything, they almost got more dominant. So uh, I think that's a testament to their energy and, and their um, camaraderie all the time. And I think the guys, I think they just raised the bar. I think when they were doing that so well and dominating for so long, everyone else just had to kind of follow suit and, and kind of bring that same passion and energy. And, um, you know, I mean, everyone has a different personality with how they approach that. Um, and like you said, singles is a bit different because you can kind of work your way into points in the match and kind of feel your opponent. And you just, you have a bit more time to kind of settle in and in doubles. If you do that and you're down, you know, four zero in, in five minutes, you know, so it's, you can't necessarily, um, you know, work your way in. You have to read the first point. You have to be there ready. And, and, um, you know, you know, as well, you're, you're only playing, um, except at the grand slams, obviously you're only playing an hour and a half hour, 20 maximum. So you, you just go a hundred percent the whole time. And that's what makes it you know pretty exciting to watch and in more action for sure. You made the point, Austin, that that uh, Bob and Mike are involved to some extent in Davis Cup, and of course, we just had the Davis Cup situation, and the Americans qualified and and uh, and, and got to Malaga and 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 played a good, had a good effort against Italy. Really, it, it seemed like it was there for the taking. If you could get to the doubles, you would give the Americans, you know, you would think a fighting chance, and then you you put out the team of of Jack Sock, who's certainly done uh, you know quite well in his own right as a doubles player. Teams with Tommy Paul, and they lose to uh to Bellelli and Fonini and by no means a team to sneeze at they've won at least a major but at the same time as great a tennis as Tommy Paul is playing right now you got you sitting there you got Rajiv Ram sitting there who maybe at the time the selections were made was ranked one in the world did was there a feeling of being slighted or I, I know you're too humble to question Marty Fish's decisions and you're not going to want to go but what are what are your feelings on you know how that all went down yeah, I mean, it's a tough call, to be honest. You know, I haven't I, – I would love to play Davis Cup. I haven't been fortunate enough yet to be um, on the team. I, I've actually done practice partner three times, and it's always some of the better highlights of my career with, with Andy Roddick and Query and the Bryans, wow. and that's how I got, you know, kind of to know them so well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Davis Cup is awesome. I've always um, had a ton of respect for that tournament. So, you know, hopefully um, sometime in the future I'll be able to represent uh, the U.S. But, um, you know, I mean, I, I don't know the the – inside story there really i'm with marty i mean i know marty a little bit from playing but um i haven't spoken with him too much so you know it's a tough call i mean i'm not going to pretend that that i know kind of the inside dynamics of what happened but um you know i mean i think you know raj and i obviously we are both you know definitely you know ready to play and, and would love to play but um at the same time you know i mean jack obviously is is always in the in the conversation as one of the best doubles players in the world no matter what he's ranked and and he's such a super talented guy and um, you know, and, and then obviously Francis, Tommy, Taylor, I mean, all the guys are, are, um, you know, as far, you know, as, as my relationship with them goes, they're awesome, super nice guys and, and compete and, and really good dudes. So I, I have no really idea how the, how that really went down, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm ready whenever for sure. That'd be great. Hopefully, hopefully in the next couple of years, I'd love to play. All right, Marty Fisher, are you listening? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Austin, because you brought them up, I mean, Andy, Marty Fish, James Blake, the Bryan brothers, they seem like they had uh, a connection. Is that the same now with Taylor uh, and Francis and Riley Opelka and Tommy Paul? Can we expect them to sort of move up in the rankings together 
uh, in sort of the same way that James and Andy and Marty and, and the Bryan brothers did? Do they have the same kind of friendship? Seems like it. Yeah, I wouldn't see why not. I mean, obviously, you know, Andy and, and, and James and, and, you know, all those guys, Marty, they grew up, grew up training together, playing together, you know, even even living together at some points, um, especially traveling together a lot, I guess, at tournaments. But, you know, so they were super close in that regard. I know, obviously, some of these guys being from, you know, different parts in the country don't necessarily maybe have as close of a bond from a young age. Right. But, um, no, I mean, if you're around, you know, Francis and Tommy and, and Jack and all these guys are, are super close. I mean, Taylor's obviously out in L.A., but I think all the American guys, to be honest, get along pretty well. And they're just, they're super talented. I think this group of guys is going to be phenomenal. I mean, it's just, there, there's a little bit of things, you know, that are out of your control. I mean, obviously staying healthy is a big part of it. Getting the right breaks and draws at some of these tournaments are, is going to be, you know, the decider, you know, who breaks through big time first. But I mean, these, these guys are, are doing fantastic and, and really, I mean, it's, it's tough, man. You know, unfortunately there's only 10 spots in the yeah. top 10 and 20 in the top 20. So everybody's good. It's such an international sport that it makes it difficult, but I think these guys are doing just as good of a job and, and they're all really close as well. So I don't, I don't see why not. Yeah. Austin, I'll tell you what, man, I, I can't tell you how happy we are to see you sitting here uh, in late November, early December, seven in the world right now as an individual. And what are you, tell me what the rankings are right now. Yeah, we're a 10. I, I was nine there for a little bit, but 10, 10 this week, uh, the earnings for individual. And then I think we finished five or six as a team. So you're, you're there in my very old stomping grounds of Dallas, Texas. And it sounds like you've got quite a Dallas tennis mafia that you train with a quick shout out to some of those boys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, um, Hans Hotch is, is one of uh, my good friends and works with Phil Farmer as well. And, and, uh, and then obviously John Isner is here. I mean, we got a great group, Mitch Kruger, um, you know, Luke Bambridge who played for a while and we, Nate Lamons, um, a bunch of good guys. Jackson Withrow around. Yeah. Jackson's in Austin. Okay. So um, he, he'll come up for a bit probably. And um, yeah, I mean, in Texas in general, there's a ton of guys, but yeah, it seems like Dallas, Dallas is a great place to be. There's a ton of, you know, great indoor centers and if it gets chilly, but to be honest, it was 65 today. So there's no, no complaints to hit outside. So <laughs> So how much do you now sit down with Yvonne and say, okay, we got to pick a schedule here. Do you guys go for surfaces or do you go for cities that you love to be in? Or do you go for the tournament that has the best practice situation or maybe even the tournament that puts the doubles matches on courts that have proper stands? What, what's, how, do you, how do you pick your schedule now that you're, that you're up at the top of the world? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, in this year, like you said, this year was a little bit different because we had dropped a bit at the end of the summer and, and we had to kind of not chase, but we were obviously trying to make turn was one of our goals. So we needed to play some a bunch of 250s and try to get, you know, give ourselves an opportunity there. So we were kind of scheduling, you know, um, a little bit heavy on the tournament side. Um, but but moving forward in this year, we've got an opportunity now, luckily, that um, we can kind of pick our schedule a bit wiser i guess you'd say or, or, or the tournaments we really want to play and think we can do well at and, and kind of go to those bigger events fresher um, which is a great which is an advantage as well but no i mean i i think conditions play a role i mean there's you know i mean there's not a ton of options at the very top you kind of have to play the masters where they are and and um you know in some of the 500s you might have one one or two to choose from but you know usually you you just try to be smart with the scheduling not to do too many weeks in a row we had a couple of very long stretches this year that we'll try not to repeat, but um, you know, I mean, a lot of the top guys 
um, you know, they, they schedule smart so that they're fresh for the, for the big events, obviously trying to peak at the right moments. And I think that's a lesson we learned this year at the U S open, um, you know, and unfortunately an intern as well, but um, I think we did a great job of that going into the French and Wimbledon. Um, so we'll try to, you know, take the lessons we learned this year and, and try to build as a team. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're just trying to play better tennis every week. And, and I think if we do that, uh, Yvonne and I have a chance, you know, any tournament we play for sure. That's for sure. Austin, thanks so much for joining us. I find you uh, to be extremely articulate for a guy from AM. I'm I'm incredibly <laughs> impressed. And uh, of course, I say that somewhat jokingly. Um, but no, thanks. Thanks so much. Congratulations on a great year. Congratulations to you and Yvonne. And of course, our good friend, Philip Farmer. And I know he was he was uh, nominated for ATP Coach of the Year. And, um, you know, if he doesn't win it, I guess obviously we'll have to harken back to that French Open. But whatever. Um, That's right. Congrats on the great year, buddy. And, uh, and, and, and good luck in 2023. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate that. All right. And that was Austin Krychek. Matt's what a great kid and how great to see a guy. I believe he's probably 32 years of age now. He's been on the tour 10 years, turned pro in 2012, and to break into the top 10 north of the age of 30. Pretty cool and couldn't happen to a nicer kid. No, I really couldn't. And uh, I actually remember when Austin uh, came out on tour and, and was playing singles and I was played a um, ATP Champions Tour uh, event in uh, Guadalajara, I think. And I remember Austin was there. So, no, it's brilliant. Um, when I see guys like Austin, Andy, I mean, I think it's brilliant. People always talk, oh, I wish more singles players would play doubles because why, whatever, whatever. And when I see these guys play, I have to say, I'm not sure. I think doubles has... Uh, and the Bryan brothers, like we talked about, they 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 definitely started something new. But they are filling a void um, in in professional tennis that is that intensity, and people can relate to it more, or they enjoy it more because the guys are having such a great time. The two, Iran and Austin, I mean, they couldn't be from further away in the world, but they were just having such a great time. It seems like all the doubles teams are having a great time. So um, it's, I think it's fantastic that doubles has gone in the direction that it's going. And I actually think that it's, it's picking up momentum and people absolutely love watching doubles out around the world, wherever tournament and wherever it is. So yeah, great job. I mean, what a nice guy. And you made a great point. We discussed it. I mean, you know, the the mark and the legacy that the Bryan brothers have left on the sport has been taken and run with by these players. And you, you mentioned it over and over again, they're having fun. And boy, how much fun did Bob and Mike Bryan and Wayne Bryan and that entire family, Kathy should be mentioned as well. How much fun did they bring to the sport of doubles and to see it continue on in the same vein that we used to see it with Bob and Mike uh, is it's, it's very refreshing to see, and it, it bodes well for the future of the popularity of the sport of doubles. Yeah, so you know what I forgot to – I was, wanted to ask him, Andy, was w- at what level do you, Andy, think that people in the clubs, at what level do they need to be to start imitating what the doubles players do in terms of the eye formation and in terms of poaching and crossing. And, and I mean, should they all do that? Because that's what the best players do. I mean, they do try and play like the singles players do uh, uh, the amateurs in the club. level. They don't come to the net very much because singles players don't, maybe they're not good enough at the net uh, as an amateur player. But what do you think in, in terms of when does it hurt 
a, a two five or a three zero or a three five player? Does it help or hurt them to try and do signals behind the back? And I mean, some of these player, people that do that, I'm not sure that they actually exactly know where they're serving. I mean, it's kind of a guesswork as soon as they throw the ball up in the air. But what's your take on that, Andy? Well, we I yeah. Felt like you and I talked about this when we were at beautiful Bighorn Country Club just a weekend or two ago in Palm Desert doing the uh, the clinic that we did there with their wonderful members and their pro, Andrew Minnelli. Um, and we talked about the fact that I'm sort of a stay in your lane, hit more balls back kind of player anyway. And and for me, I would say play doubles the way Mats Vlander played doubles. Played doubles the way the 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 old time Aussies played the the Newcombs and the Roaches, as opposed to the Bryan brothers, because I believe that the skill set has got to be supremely sharp to be able to do a lot of aggressive movements mm. and poaching and cutting balls off. Whereas at the three o three five even four o levels, you're going to see ninety nine percent of matches being determined on a on a chart sheet based on errors made, you know, and the team that wins the match is going to be the team that keeps the ball in play. So I am viewed as a defensive coordinator <laughs> by trade as a tennis coach. And so do I believe in players having weapons? Yes, but I believe first in the solid foundation mm. of being able to go out and win a tennis match in the style of which Mats Vlander and Joachim Nystrom went out and won Wimbledon in 1986 which was nothing fancy and, and 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 nothing super, you know, low percentage. It was just very high percentage, big targets, make volleys. And I think if players continue to do that, that is a timeless style of play. And I highly recommend that at the country club level. Yeah, I think that's important for people that are uh, listening, hopefully, but also that play that, that that they realize that these guys, they have chosen to play this style of doubles and it's necessary to play this style of doubles. But uh, Austin and Ivan Dodic could easily go out there and play the old-fashioned sort of oh, Roach and John Newcomb style of doubles. It's just not good enough anymore. You, you can't do that. They hit the ball too hard. It's too hard to volley from the service line. So you got to be on top of the net. So uh, it's... It's uh, out of necessity that they do this at the at the highest level of our game. Guys are just too good at getting the ball up and down. Yeah, and so there's too many dippers. And if you don't, if you're not right on top of that net, that ball is half a second later. It goes from being you know shoulder high to being ankle high. And in the old days, the you know, the ball sat up a little bit longer, so it gave you the opportunity to volley between the waist and the shoulders. And now, if you don't take it closer to the net, you're you're digging balls out of your shoestrings too way too often. And let me just throw one more thing in there, Andy. How about the, okay. the, the aim, the target? When you watch uh, doubles, professional doubles, and when the guys are at the net, I mean, it is true, right, that they're trying to go at each other. And it's not at each other in the chest, but they're trying to go at each other's shoelaces. And I, I, when I try to, to, to teach or coach doubles, I, so many times I see players at the net and they're trying to – angle the volley away when there's a person at the net there there's somehow they they seem afraid to challenge the person at the net but the, isn't it better if the ball 
always above the tape and you have a volley to hit it to the to their opponent's shoelaces and then you're going to get another one but you're ahead in the rally because really that's what they do at the highest level they're not really trying to go for for winners to the side they're going for winners through people but they're not going with a lot of angles it's hard at the person what's your take on that for amateurs i'll i'll, I'll just i'll close out with this matt so i'll answer this with a, with a statement that Cliff Drysdale used to make on a regular basis back at Lakeway in the old days. And he used to say to us, if we shanked a ball or hit something, he'd say to us, how can I possibly know what you're going to do when you've got no idea yourself? And that's what Cliff used to say on a regular basis. So I guess my point is you're, you're, you're probably maybe asking a bit much from these people thinking that they're trying to angle off a volley <laughs> for all we know, maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But I think, I think there was a lot of, of long-term lifelong wisdom in, in what Cliffy used to somewhat jokingly say. And I was on the wrong end of that statement uh, a few times myself, but that that would be my answer. Yeah, no, no, no I agree. I, I, that's very true. Very true. Fun stuff. Thanks to Austin Krychek. For Andy Zoden, the great Matt Svelander, Johnny Levine, you've been listening to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We just got one more show, and we're going to have some fun with the the year-end version. The the season ender in December is going to be a good one, so you're going to want to be around for that. But in the meantime, thanks for catching us this time, and we will see you again real soon.